From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 880, dealing with vulnerable exchange servers with guest Gareth Gudger, recorded Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Gareth Gudger, the Microsoft MVP who's been specializing in Exchange and Office 365 for decades. Uh, one of my go-to folks every year, Gareth and I talk, you can see him blogging at supertechboy.com. I often tweet out his blog post because I learn from Gareth. And Gareth, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Richard. Um, Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And uh, I got to read a comment, um, not from one of your shows. Actually, I'm going to read one from one of Tony uh, Redmond's shows. So I know this topic is going to come up anyway. It was the show 770 when we did the show specifically on the Hafnium exploits. That's back in, in 2021. Boy, those were some tough days. And per Eric Sendal says, uh, I don't understand why exchange has so many privileges. The security advice for the past 20 years has always been to keep your internet facing servers locked down as, and as unprivileged as possible, just in case things like this happen. Uh, and he was, of course, talking about the half new exploits. And you know, per your, uh, you're totally right. Uh, there is way, there are ways to organize exchange to be heavily locked down. You do create edge servers for exactly that reason that have minimal rights, but the half name exploit, while well, the half name exploit was special, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it sure was. And, you know, we're still hearing reports, you know, from Microsoft saying that they are still detecting servers that are unpatched and vulnerable to Hafnium. So it's still a little scary. I, you know, I don't know if these are just like, uh, you know, somebody's small business server or some, you know, some small server that's sitting in a closet somewhere and everybody's moved to the cloud and they've now forgotten about that on, on-prem server. I, I suspect that's a good, good chunk of them. Um, yeah, well, especially those SBS, those orphan SBS servers, like that nobody's maintaining. Yeah, two thousand three. Like, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, and you've got you know the, the last version of SBS was running server two or sorry, Exchange two thousand seven, and yeah, I still I still occasionally run into those. Um, I think it was in January. Uh, I just did a 2003 to 2010 upgrade. Wow. To 2010? Yeah. And, and obviously to go to 2016. But, you know, you, you've kind of got to, you've kind of got to do that stepping stone because there's no, you know, overreach can only go to 10, 2010 maximum. Right. So, but yeah, 2003, I mean, uh, in 2023, that's. Uh, <laughs> Man, yeah. But to go, to, so you had to do from 2010 to t- 2007 to 2010 to 2016. Yeah, that one was, uh, sorry, that one was 2003 to 2010 and then to 2016. So. Uh, 2016. That's amazing. Yeah. 20 something year old exchange yeah. software. Thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't seen exchange 5.5 for probably about 10 years. Now I've jinxed myself. and Yeah, you're, you now look, you should have said I'm that better. out loud, man. <laughs> but yeah, as, as far as the half name exploit goes, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's when it comes to exchange servers, uh, obviously that there's ways to harden them. Um, it, it it is always a little bit of a challenge, right? Because you know, exchange servers have to de- be deployed in your production environment yeah. or sorry, your production land. They're not supported to be in a DMZ, and they have so many heavy tie-ins to a DC anyway. Even if you try to put exchange into a DMZ, 
you're opening so much just to get back to a DC at that point. Yeah. You end up creating a huge number of ports. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the point? So um, I would say you definitely need to look into other solutions to secure exchange, right? Exchange isn't really a security product, but it has security in mind. And yeah. I think obviously patching the OS, patching exchange is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it but it doesn't beat things like, you know, web application firewalls or reverse proxies or other stuff. Or, or if you're going to secure your your OA with, say, like a duo integration for MFA or something like that. And then obviously Exchange 2019, you know, they're, they're looking at ways to, um, you know, disable essentially, right, all those old legacy protocols. So you have the ability to do modern authentication and things like that. So. Yeah. So part of this is just the vulnerability of the protocol as a whole. I, w- I would also yep. say that the default set of accounts for exchange have a lot of privileges. And if you take the time to do just enough administration, you can dial down privileges so that once there is a breach, they're not running around with high privilege accounts by default. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know a lot of people do that work. And those folks that don't want to do that work really should be moving to exchange online. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of privileges that exchanges had. And I know as the years have gone by, the exchange team has kind of dialed back some of yeah. those privileges. Um, so it's really trending in the right direction, which is really good. And, and the other possibility is, is and, and this is something I almost never see in the wild, is do you go through that that whole split permissions model yeah. where Exchange has way less permissions and you have to rely on an AD administrator to create the accounts that then you have to mailbox enable. So there is a split permissions model. Never see it used. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to be used. But, but, but that is out there. So, Eric, thank you so much for your comment, and a Run As Radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or on Facebook and LinkedIn. I read every comment there, and if I read it on the show, I'll send you a mug. You know, Richard, I I didn't even plan this, but I'm just realizing that my tea right now, I am drinking out of the the Run As Radio Aww. mug. I did, I did not even plan this. <laughs> I just looked over and was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually drinking out of the Run There's As Radio your run mug, as mug while, huh? while on the podcast. Yeah, so. no, there's some fun loops there. Uh, well, it's been a year since you were last on. We did a great show on transport protocols and stuff last time, but I kind of want to do a gestalt conversation because it, it seems like Exchange is in a different place again. Uh, obviously, the blog post that got everyone stirred up was the throttling and blocking email from vulnerable exchange servers. Um, we talked about it on Windows Weekly. I've seen a blog post from our friend Tony Redman. Like, what's your take on We should explain it. Like, can you explain? This blog post, I think, is dreadful. It is. It reads like stereo instructions. <laughs> it is tough to understand. What are they talking about? I'll include a link to it in the show notes. What are the exchange team talking about with this blog post? Yeah, so essentially the scenario that they're trying to solve for, right, is we've we've been talking about this earlier in the show, and we've talked about this previously, right? Unpatched, vulnerable exchange servers, Mm -hmm. big problem. So if a bad actor gets on that exchange server and starts sending a message um, as, as say, the CEO, and you have hybrid with Exchange Online – there's really there's not a lot you can really do there. Once they're on your exchange server, the hybrid connection, when it uses a type of on-premises, is really kind of treating that all as one big organization that's safe. So at that point, there's very little uh, that that you know Microsoft can control there uh, because it's trusting that your server 
you know, is is safe and, and, and can send an email as you. Right. And you have and you may have these scenarios, right, where you know we've got the one scenario where everybody's moved their mailbox up into the cloud and maybe they just keep on prem for like relay or or what have you. Or you've got these other very real scenarios where people just can't move all their mailboxes to to the cloud. Maybe there's some requirement where they have to keep some mailboxes back on prem. So so you have these scenarios where you know, if you still have on-prem exchange that's doing some form of mail flow and it's using that on-prem connector, Microsoft's just trusting it. And, you know, if a bad actor gets into that, now that bad actor has that trust. So it's really a zero trust mentality. Right. How do we, how do we, how do we protect our service from potentially vulnerable exchange service that could be compromised and are sending mail to us? And I, I mean, you, and you hit on the important points there. And, and I also include a link to, to Tony Redmond's post on this as well. This is about your exchange infrastructure running in hybrid mode and you still have vulnerable servers on premises. And because it has that connector up to exchange online, it has special ability to to utilize exchange online. And so an exploited server becomes a big deal. I just don't think that the exchange team made this clear. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I think that the, the blog has a little bit to be desired. There's no dates on this blog at all. It's almost just like, hey, here's something we're thinking. It's, it's almost like the blog is just saying, hey, here's something we're thinking about and we're probably going to do. Right. It's almost like they're 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 kind of testing the waters a little bit. because like they took a flyer, but people's interpretation of it, and you see this in the comments, is like, you're just going to block email from any server you don't like. And it's like, man, that's really not what they said, but I can see why you read it that way. Yeah. So if we look at the blog post specifically, and, and I think you said you're going to have this in the, the notes as well. In the show notes. Yeah. They're starting with Exchange 2007, out of support, not getting any patches at all. Right. They do also say we plan to include all Exchange servers. So this will, you know, at, at some point, they're starting with 2007. We don't know when that is. We don't have the date. They're going to obviously you know increase that to 2010 2013 and it's going to go all the way up to 2019 and then even v next so sure it is but they're saying that in the context of attached as hybrid to exchange online not if you run an exchange 2007 server on your own and you need to send mail to someone whose account is on exchange online we're not going to accept it yeah there's nothing like that this is purely yeah. for you know, hybrid. I'm going to say at least to start hybrid. So it's yeah. specifically people. So it's not only Exchange 2007, but it's Exchange 2007 right now using the connector type of on-premises. Right. And that connector type gives you a couple special things. One, it marks your messages as, as uh, SCL minus one, which is the spam confidence level. Right. So an SCL, a spam confidence level minus one says, trust me, this is not spam. And then it also marks the header as internal rather than anonymous. Right. So that on-prem connector is taking a lot of but he's to say, trust this all the mail from the server. Yeah. Now, if somebody is on Exchange 2007 and using a type of on-premises, they could technically switch that connector over to a partner type, and they've just kind of moved the goalposts a little further down the field. They they've given themselves a, a little bit more time. Not there's they're still completely vulnerable, so it's right. still a bad thing. But if you switch the partner type to, uh, oh sorry, if you switch the connector type to partner, now you're getting scrutinized a little bit more, right? They're going to put you for some more spam and and virus checks and stuff like that. You're not getting the SEL minus one, so um, somebody could technically do that if they wanted to. I mean, you wonder if they shouldn't just give the the because they're obviously able to read in the headers that this came from a primitive exchange server like. That it's an out of date exchange server. Like, just change the scoring. Yeah, I I feel like there's definitely stuff that Microsoft probably could do, and I think that's some of the questions that have been asked on Twitter. Is like, yeah, 
you know, if, if Microsoft detects this, couldn't they just treat it differently? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. And I think a big part of this is a lot of this stuff in this blog post wasn't incredibly committal and there was no dates or timelines or no. anything like that. It was just like, hey, we're going to, it's kind of like, hey, we're going to test this with Exchange 2007 first, with specifically with this one type of connector. And I think they're going to see from there what happens. Yeah. And I think right now they already feel like they've stepped in a hornet's nest. Yeah. Like, so it's like, this is a sensitive topic. You, you very easily look like you're bullying with your M365 Exchange Online server, you know, saying who, who you know, doing any gatekeeping at all. So be careful. Yeah. Uh, which is a good piece of education. I think there's a better way to go about it, but that's always true. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I think we need to reemphasize the point that you made there, Richard, as well, right? So if you're just if you're not in a hybrid and you just happen to have an exchange server and you want to send to some other company that just happens to be in three six five, yeah, this isn't going to impact you. It's not going to affect you at all. Specifically, people using this very specific hybrid connector. Yeah, and that's that's what this is about. And and I think that and I'll include Tony Redmond's blog post responding to it because I think he makes that pretty clear as well. Um, but we got it. We got to say it here too, which is like this is a very specific scenario. So far, yeah. Right? Arguably, the real issue here that you described extremely well was that when you use that connector, you get a certain level of credibility to Exchange Online, which may be the actual issue that Microsoft shouldn't give those kinds of credibility to external servers, no matter how they're connecting. So, so one of the things that kind of flew under the radar a little bit, I don't. I think I ever saw an ELO blog post on this from the exchange team, mm-hmm. but it is out there in, you know, learn.microsoft.com. And, and one of the things that they're doing is they're also, if you created a new inbound connector right now in Exchange Online and you use the type of on premises, it, and it's in a brand new tenant, it mm-hmm. is disabled by default. Hmm. And it doesn't matter if you created it or the hybrid wizard created it, it will now be disabled by default. And to enable it, you actually have to contact support and provide a business justification. Wow. Yeah. So so it seems like this on-prem connector type, they're really hitting from a couple of different angles now. Which says to me something's happened. Like there's no reason they'd be doing this unless they've come across some serious exploit in this. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just... They need. I, I, I think the desire is they. Ha- there's something going on, and they need to control what's coming in through that on-prem connector. Yeah. Now the business justification, I can actually totally get behind that because mm-hmm. to me, it's like, you know, what is stopping really just a bad actor from spinning up an exchange online trial, putting an exchange server behind it, and doing an on-prem type, uh, you know, and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? It, it's almost like the same bad actors that, you know. People are like, hey, go to a website. If it has a padlock and all that, it's great. What's stopping a bad actor just from registering a website and getting a free SSL certificate? You know, it's the same kind of kind of thing, right? It's uh, uh, so for me, I, I think the fact that you have to call support, get business justification, a lot of that reminds me uh, of if you get that um, enhanced SSL certificate and you have to prove to the c- certificate authority, yeah. you are who you, you say are. you are. So to me, this is a very similar process. Because that's, that mechanism kind of failed, right? Like, for the most part, people just didn't do it. They got really expensive. And it's like, we all ended up using Let's Encrypt certs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, de- there is definitely that as yeah. well. I, I, I think they've done the same model. I think it's okay. And I, and I believe once you are, once you get that justification, I think then you can enable uh, on-prem um, connectors to your heart's content after that. I think it's just a one-time thing. Yeah. And uh, I, there there are more blog posts that I feel that they stood in as well. But before we get into that, 
Get ready to make a difference. Join the cause of the Humanitarian Toolbox and help make a positive impact on disaster relief and response. HDBox creates open-source software like the Two Weeks Ready Project, which empowers individuals, families, and communities to prepare for emergencies using their smartphones. With your help, HDBox can continue to build and operate these essential disaster response and preparedness tools. By visiting hdbox.org, you can learn more about their mission and make a tax-deductible donation to support their life-saving work. Every contribution helps create software that can save lives and provide assistance when it matters most. Join the cause today and help make a difference. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. This is Gareth Gudger, and we're talking again about sort of the state of exchange. In earlier in March, they deprecated the remote PowerShell uh, for new exchange online tenants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> and they they backpedaled on that one pretty fast because that was another one where I think people freaked out. You know, you've been pushing us to use PowerShell for the longest time, but when I read the post, I thought, "Wow, this read like we got exploited through this in some way, and we're not going to do it again." But now that seems like they've backed off and said, "Okay, you can enable it again if you must." Yeah, for sure, and th- and that really is a, a you know in a nutshell. I I don't know if there was an exploit through this. I think it may have just been the hey, we want to harden the service. Yeah, and I I think it's more of just the initial date they gave, which is way too aggressive with little notice. Yeah. And I think it's more they backpedaled because people came back and said, oh my gosh, I wrote all my scripts and all my automation to use the older modules or the remote PowerShell or a specific commandlet that I had isn't in your latest REST-based version. Um, so, so to me, I, I, I don't know if there, I don't think there was an exploit. I think it was just like, hey, you told us uh, on December that it was going to be done in April. That's just way too little time to update all my scripts and automation. So yeah, I, I think it's really just just you know they didn't give enough lead time. Um, I know you know any new tenants um, will have it disabled, um, but existing tenants, I believe now you can opt out and have remote PowerShell at least through September. Now at this point. I believe is the date. Okay, through yeah, and then they're good. But the, the, in the end, RPS is going away. They just gave you more time. Like you've got till yeah, absolutely, like it, yeah, for sure. It ends by October, and you've got to be moved onto the oh October under the new module. Yeah, well, it might get extended again. You know, in the end, it comes down to who's you know. It's not like we didn't have other stuff to do, right? So this is at least giving us a few more months <laughs> to get stuff moving around. Well, it, it, it took a really long time. I mean, how many extensions did we have where they were getting rid of TLS 1.0 and 1.1? 1. 1. Oh, yeah. So that that got extended for years. For years. Now yeah. I, that said. You know, there's no guarantee October might really be it. You know, just yeah. just like base, basic off now, basic off is gone. I, I think that basic off is finally gone after you know all of those extensions. Yep, and we were, we're talking about the same thing with Windows, and you know, it's Windows 10 going out of going into extended support by 2025. And they, my gut says no way, but you got a plan because because yeah. that or it's going to be 50 bucks a seat. Like you, you know, that's sort of the conversation you need to have with with the CFO around this. Yeah. So same token, because there, it's not like there isn't a remote solution, right? The the Mer, the PowerShell f- version three module works. You just gotta get to work on it and rewrite your stuff. Yeah, I mean the the version three module works great. You mm-hmm. know, I use it all the time just for a quick jump in ad hoc. They have some new commandlets that are eight times faster. You know, some of the new get exo type commandlets. So if you've got an environment with a hundred thousand objects in it, um, it will save you time on those new commandlets, and uh, you know it supports. Um, you know, all the old stuff. I think the, the challenge we ran into recently was um, it didn't, su- when we tried to do like disconnect exchange online, we couldn't tell it which session we wanted to disconnect. So, right. you know, if you, if you ever had a script that was like 
trying to do multiple sessions. It you know ran into some issues there, but I I believe I've also been told that they're working on it. So I would say at this point, you know, it's pretty feature parity the version three, and uh, I would highly recommend everybody get over to the V three module and yeah. get onto rest and quit using RPS. It's a good thing. So yeah, um, and again, it's like guys, you hurt yourself by writing the blog post this way. You know, you could have written it with a much more, hey, all the new features are coming into V3. We've covered all your capabilities here. We're going to retire this. Like, bye. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. V3 is a good thing. I, I just think it was a little aggressive on the timeline. And now, obviously, they're they're adding, you know, uh, probably four or five extra months there for... And, and I think really that was the pushback. Again, it's just people needed time to update the scripts, uh, update their automation. Um, and that just takes time. Yeah. No, without a doubt, but uh, yeah, give give them enough time and give them plenty of warning. Because you know, the sad part is you knew they were talking about this internally for months too. If they talked about it publicly earlier, so that everybody had more lead time that this is the direction we're going in, they probably they would have been fine. You know, we've had the rest modules now for oh gosh, I don't even know, maybe a couple of years. Yeah, a couple so of it's years. not it's not like you know the the version two introduced rest, and uh, you know it we've we've had that for a while. So you know, it's not like this is something new. It's just like we're now getting rid of the old thing. So yeah. it, it, it's all good. Get your scripts updated to the version-free module. Uh, you'll be doing yourself a ton of favors. Yeah. Uh, Exchange 2013 is 10 years old. That's the end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, yeah, Exchange 2013 is gone. I know we were talking earlier about getting people off Exchange 2003 and 7 and all yeah, the other ones. Please. So, uh, it man, it, it feels like it's flown by. It feels like we were just putting in Exchange 2013 not that long ago. I am well, and also that it's a very popular version of Exchange. Like without a doubt, it was it was an excellent version of Exchange, uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me that a lot of folks were hanging on to it, like because there just wasn't. It, it's not like there was anything wrong with it. No, I mean, yeah, you just got to get to uh, you know your options are, and I think they've got a number of blog posts out there. You know, you either get to 2019 or Exchange Online, and uh, Exchange Online, obviously, if if you don't want to be in the care and feeding of maintaining exchange servers yeah get, get to exchange online let my let my let it be microsoft's problem not yours yeah totally well um although we could still laugh about the whole hybrid story because i did that show with tony where they they never seem to really finish the solution to getting your last on-prime exchange server turned off if you wanted the active directory objects that you were probably counting on with various tools to manage exchange yeah, so the Exchange twenty so in the last CU that they did for Exchange twenty nineteen, they they released the way you could do the management tools only option, and it works okay. I, I've used it. I put it into greenfield environments. It works okay. Obviously, it's PowerShell only. Right. So if you still need any form of a GUI, um, or if you're still relaying mail through, you know, you need to relay your mail through on prem. You're gonna have to keep an Exchange server around for that. Yeah. Um, or if you need some other stuff like RBAC or auditing, you'll need it too. But it, it you know. It works okay, and then um, there's some of MVPs that have actually created like a GUI interface. Steve Goodman has one that's really good out there. Uh, he's got a GUI interface that can sit on top of the management tools. I think the bigger challenge, though, is to go with the Exchange 2019 management tools only, mm -hmm. you have to have Forest Functional Level 2016, which is also a struggle for a lot of people, too. Oh, man. Yeah, and how many folks... Well, because you can't update functionality levels till you get your AD cleaned up, right? You've got to go hunt down those old servers. You've got to get stuff that wasn't syncing, syncing properly. Like you are stepping into no nothing small 
to really go clear up the clear up that AD functional level. And, and before you know it, some VPN is connecting to a very specific DC yep. or the my favorite one is is the number of um, FRS to DFS, you know, failed migrations that I've seen just just to try and get people on the new version of uh, yeah. Sysvol replication so they can even put the new DCs in. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many uh, issues that I've run into when it comes to upgrading, you know, uh, domain controllers and trying to get rid of ones and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Now, it, it's, it's almost got a third rail effect, right? As soon as you, it's like, oh, we have to go work with AD. Well, there be dragons. And so, you know, getting into cleaning that up is just not a small problem. And, it, you know, when we get back to, boy, Exchange Online looks all the nicer each time those things come around. Yeah, so if you're, if you're at a point where you can't get your forest level to 2016, yeah, you're still stuck with an exchange server to manage your on-prem, at least in a supported way. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're stuck on, you know, exchange 2016 server or something older to manage your, your hybrid at that point. And then it goes back to, you know, which, which, fi- which fire are you going to fight at that point? Do you, do you get your forest functional level up to 2016 so you can do the tools only so you don't have to patch an exchange server or, you know, uh, do you now, or do you stay on 16 because you can't get your DCs updated and, and now you're going to have to keep up to every SU that ever, or software update, or security update, sorry, that releases yeah. for 16. And so obviously the better option, get your forest level up to date, but. Uh, well, and 16 for it, goes out of support in three years. So yeah. you're still banging away on the clock there. Like there's only yep. so much time. Absolutely. Yeah. Boy, we're just full of joy and fun today. But yeah, lots of lots and lots of bad news. <laughs> I feel like I'm just a hey. Here's all the here's all the stuff that's uh, on a ticking time bomb or timeline here for you to to get solved here shortly. <laughs> so and it and it's not you know on one hand it's like you can call this a conspiracy. Say is this is about Microsoft wanting you to play monthly for mail rather than run your own infrastructure. I think it's more about the the bad guys have gotten way better at hacking at mail, and so the security improvements have been dramatic. And they're complicated, yep. and they and they're only happening in the new versions. And so you're yeah. you are driven to run the latest versions. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's moving faster because the 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 bad actors are moving faster. Yeah, and, and you have to. It just feels like the bad actors are moving faster and faster and faster, and you've got to keep up with them. Yeah, this is the price of the most popular mail infrastructure on the planet. And uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm not a developer at all or an AI guy at all, but I assume Richard, maybe you know more about this. I assume AI is being used for you know bad bad actors these days to get into things as well it's an interesting idea that you know could uh, are we at a place where machine learning can can help us build exploits yeah i wonder i i I wonder about uh you know this i keep keep talking about artificial intelligence and mostly i see a lot of artificial dumbness so it it's a complicated concept to to write exploits or to to show vulnerabilities in software. I don't know that the tools can do that yet. But what we do know, and certainly we saw those with Hafnium, is like this is not a couple of college kids. This is a state sponsored organization with intent. You know, not that to harp on Hafnium, but it's like part of what I looked at with that one is like this is great cover running a, a runaway worm to open all those machines to hide whatever machines the state actors really wanted to access that they that they obviously did what they needed to do they probably did it over quite some length of time using those exploits and then to cover their tracks they created a storm 
So we never really could know for sure what machines were they that they actually went after and collected the data they yeah. wanted because they clearly who, succeeded. Who, yeah. Who was the real target? Who was the target? Probably government. <laughs> yeah. Almost certainly. And, and large enterprise like we, you know, the number of supply chain hacks we're seeing, we've seen around these days speak to they went after providers to government yep. that are far more vulnerable than the government entities themselves. And, and then, but they the fact that their cover was to do a runaway worm. Clever. Like that's because it absolutely distracted everyone. Like that's what it did. But it, it certainly has brought to, you know, landed very clearly in our heads. Email is an exploit vector and a powerful one. And exchange, especially because it's of, of its popularity, is getting a ton of scrutiny. And Microsoft's responding, but they expect us as operators to respond too. And I don't know about you, but I have other work to do. Like it's, you only have so much time to do that. That being said, my exchange server is off. I am fully online and I did not go hybrid. I migrated and shut down the infrastructure here entirely. Oh, nice. So it was a full, full cutover. And, uh, so are you still, are you still syncing from on-prem for nope. your AD accounts or full, fully cloud? Yeah. Nice. Um, in fact, what I, and what I did basically was took the last domain. I moved, I moved all the other domains. I was down to my last domain and I didn't migrate. I didn't move it at all. I set it up as a forward because it was a minor domain. Like it was only really a sort of admin domain. All of the important ones were already moved to, to, uh, online. And the final one, I just literally changed the DNS to forward to certain mailboxes and then shut it down. But I'm, a, I'm on a path now, friend, to retire this AD infrastructure in the house entirely. Uh, the la- built two new machines that are AD only. Uh, but, you know, it's only the two of us in the house now. It's kind of silly to be running that much infrastructure. Uh, not that it was always wasn't silly the whole time, but it was, certainly was a useful set of experiences. And there's nothing more fun <laughs> than having your daughters come and say, apparently, I need to speak to my administrator. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we we did those kind of things because we could. Because <laughs> we could. And it was it was a great learning experience and so forth. But it's also a great learning experience to retire an active directory infrastructure. Yeah. Um, you know, it is certainly a, a topic area. Uh, that I'm talking to with IT folks these days where there isn't a lot of love for AD these days. And we are wondering what we should be doing. Like, what what would you do going forward? The asymmetry between how we manage heterogeneous devices in Intune versus how we can use group policy to lock down Windows devices. Like, it's almost discriminatory that I can lock down a Windows device so much harder than I can lock down a Mac. And yet they're both living in our organization. So, you know, there's this great argument around, you know, should we move to these things across the board? Why are we still joining the you know, a portion of our machines to this AD infrastructure and not the other ones? Because we can't. And so the fact that you can manage those other devices means why don't you manage the Windows devices the same way? And I'm so I'm doing that in the house now. But we know Exchange depends on AD, right? Like, so part of this is, how do we get off of, uh, if we're going to get off of AD, how do we get off exchange and prem? And this is where this high, this trapped hybrid mode and this weirdo turn your last server off and run this thing on a workstation somewhere, this little blob yeah. of code. It's just a bizarro solution to the problem. Yeah. It's a, it, it, I think it's a bit of a stopgap with the management tools. I, I think they'll continue to develop it and yeah. it'll be much better. 
So I, I think they're trending really well in the right direction. I think this was the first step to get them there. I, I mean, obviously, the current challenge right today is it, it's really not an exchange problem, but it's actually an, uh, an Active Directory and yes. Azure AD Connect issue. And so the issue that you have is most organizations, they have an on-prem AD, they have Azure AD, maybe they have some of their enterprise apps going through Azure AD, and they still have a bunch of on-prem apps going through on-prem AD. And a lot of times, you what and rightfully so, people don't want to manage two separate identities, so now those identities have to be synced. Yeah. That way, users only have one username, one password. Users are happy. The issue that you run into as soon as you do that is Azure AD now says, oh, okay, these specific attributes, including exchange ones, are now the source of authority is on-prem. And that's the issue that you run into is that while you have Azure AD Connect, at least in the way that it operates today, and maybe there's some multi-master mode that can come out in the future, but the way that it operates today is a lot of your exchange attributes are are sourced or the on-prem is considered the authority. And the only way you know to manage those attributes is through an exchange server with management tools. So I don't know, I guess the question is, is, Maybe in part, it's an exchange problem to solve. And I think that's why the exchange team has been going down the exchange management tools option route. And I think that'll continue to keep getting better. But I think part of it is also, you know, on the Azure and the Azure AD Connect sides, um, teams, you know, to to try and resolve as well. Yeah, for sure. Like, they, this is the battle. And um, yeah, it's nothing's easy. Like, it, it is all... Uh, getting more complicated and it's not and i don't like think i don't think there's any nefariousness from microsoft in this this is this is the landscape of email as it exists today and it's much harder now and even if microsoft didn't have exchange online as a product if that didn't exist if we were still all doing mail on-prem it'd be really hard to run a mail infrastructure today because of the you know i think about the comment from uh, per eric at the beginning of the show where it's like why do we have so many privileges and we talked about how hard it is to architect a secure exchange infrastructure like we still have that problem because the black hats are targeting us as hard as we as they are and the the clients that i deal with that still are staying on prem Mm -hmm. their environments are just getting bigger yeah you know you know people are sending more emails emails are getting larger in average on average um, so, you know, I, you know, anybody that does stay on prem, I just see them, you know, they're, or they're growing as a company. So these environments, these ex- on-prem exchange environments, a lot of times they're just getting larger. Yeah. They're not going away. Email's not going away. You know, this is folks are still, you, folks are always going to work with it. Sure. They're moving some stuff over to teams or Slack or, you know, there's conversational mechanisms as well, but mail's not going away. So either. Running that infrastructure is only getting to getting harder. The fact that there's more choices is awesome. Um, you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't need to tri- to attribute nefariousness to it. And it's it's got it's got there's plenty of reasons why things are working the way they are. So what's next for you, friend? Are you getting out to any conferences? I I, I mean, I love your writing. I read it every week. Uh, and and tweet out about it when I think uh, the listeners should hear more. Yeah, I don't think I have anything planned. Um, let's see. I you know I I, I am starting to get to some in person stuff, but n- no speaking. Um, you know, I, I am glad to see that a lot of user groups now are back in person. So I've been mm-hmm. hitting a lot, uh, hitting up a lot of the team's user groups because they're all back in person now, which is really nice. That's fun. Um, I am still seeing a I am still seeing a lot virtual. Who knew a bunch of geeks actually miss seeing each other? You know, like <laughs> uh, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it is interesting how many are still staying virtual though. Yeah, user groups. So uh, I think we're also out of practice. Like a couple of years of not 
of not getting in person and not that infrastructure to run that. What's the venue? What's the equipment? Who's the sponsor? Like all of those things. Everyone's a little out, a little out of practice for that. And so it's part, part of the problem. Yeah, a lot, definitely a lot of good in-person venues. I feel like started a come back up a little bit late last year and then definitely into to 2023. So um, good to see a lot of these uh, in-person events and conferences happening again. And, um, you know, uh, so, so it's all it's all good and trending in the in the right direction. I think we finally uh, I think we finally kind of gotten over the uh, what uh, I heard somebody refer to COVID as the human malware, which I think is fantastic <laughs> that it was referred that way. So I think we finally got over the human malware. Um, but yeah, the most of most of the stuff that I'm working on these days actually is probably the Office 365 for IT Pros book. Right, got to got to plug that right. Yeah, um, and then we talked about Tony. Obviously, Tony's the uh, you know the editor in chief and main author when it comes to that. So. Uh, I get to be I get to be the co-author for the uh, exchange transport or exchange mail flow part. Of well, it. and it's such a different kind of book because it is a continuously updated book. Absolutely, every month, and then uh, we release a new edition once a year. So. Yeah, uh, it's huge, and I'm glad you're part of that because it's uh, it's a massive undertaking. I, I don't I don't envy you. Um, constantly staying up to date and then trying to figure out how to explain it to folks in a way that'll last long enough uh, for them to actually be able to take advantage of it. Well, Gareth, uh, thank you so much for your time. I guess I'll talk to you again next year, if not sooner. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always great to be on the show, Richard. And uh, I'll have to finish the, uh, the the tea that is in my uh, Runner's Radio orange mug here. So Nice. <laughs> well, you and me both. Uh, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you next time on Runner's Radio. 